And this morning I asked the question, why do Christians passionately disagree with one another over politics? And I suggested two answers, two reasons. First is Christians passionately care about justice, and they believe that their political convictions promote justice. And second, Christians have different degrees of wisdom for making political judgments, and they tend to believe that they have more wisdom than those who differ. So that's where we are. And in this time together, I plan to build on that foundation by asking two more questions. And there's a handout. I'm I'm assuming you have it in front of you. So you have the questions written down. I'm planning to ask these two questions. Why must Christians agree to disagree over disputable matters, disputable political issues? And then how? How must Christians agree to disagree over disputable political issues? That's where we're going. Before I jump into the second question, I wanted to find a term. I'm going to be using it a lot, and it's not a term in the Bible, so let let me explain it. It's jagged line political judgment versus a straight line political judgment. So I'm getting this from a a Lutheran uh, scholar named Robert Benet, B-E-N-N-E, in his book, what's it called? It's called Good and Bad Ways to Think About Religion and Politics, Erdman's 2010. It's a good book. Um, And he, he argues that we need to distinguish between jagged line and straight line. Let me define those. So a straight line political issue is one where you go straight from the Bible to a political policy. I'll give you an example that we should be able to agree on is that the Bible says don't murder and therefore we should all be opposed to murder. So I I shouldn't be allowed to just, you know, pull out a gun and shoot someone. That's a bad political policy to allow that, right? Can we agree on that? Okay. I know politics are divisive, but this should not be divisive. All right. All right. So that's a straight line. Don't murder. So don't just randomly shoot someone with a gun. We agree on there? All right. I would argue further, as a, as a Christian, I believe that life, that life begins in the womb and that abortion is a, is a form of murder and that we could draw a straight line from don't murder to don't support abortion. Now, it gets a little more complicated when we talk about other issues involved with that, but that, that should be a fairly straight line. And, and for straight line issues like that, we would say that to be a member of a church like this, uh, we would want you to be able to draw that straight line for the church to be able to confirm, yeah, we think you're a Christian. You're welcome to be a member here. Uh, if, you, if you have people who are members of this church who are saying, I think it's okay to just randomly shoot people, uh, they would probably be excommunicated. I said probably because I'm not sure how you feel about nothing. Yeah, yeah that, that would lead to excommunication, right? Uh, that, that's evil, and they'd be in jail. Okay, if they were to act on that. That's a straight line. Now, a jagged line political issue is different. For a jagged line, you've got... A biblical, uh, a biblical principle, theological truth, and to get from there to a political policy, it's not straight. It's like ding, 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 and then you get there, and there are lots of factors to consider. An example I gave earlier this morning is the issue of immigration. We believe we should protect our children, protect, protect the people in this country. We also believe that we should be compassionate to people. Those are two true principles, but to get from those principles to a political policy is not a straight line. There are lots and lots of factors to consider. So it would be, I think, misguided for a church to say, this is the Christian position on immigration. 
because there isn't the Christian position. There are a bunch of factors to consider, and we should recognize the difference between a straight line and a jagged line political issue. Now, I'm just making sure up front, we get that, those definitions, we're using those terms a lot, straight line, jagged line. It was clear? I know you can't answer back. I'm a teacher, but all right. So that's, that's what we're talking about. Now, Robert Benet in his book says that most, the vast majority of political issues are jagged line political issues. And that's what makes this complicated when you are fellow church members in a context where there's a, an election coming up and you might disagree with one another on some of these jagged line political issues. That's what I want to want to focus on is what do we do then when there's this multi-step process from a biblical or theological principle to a political position. The problem with saying that there's a straight line from the Bible to specific policies is that while the goal that the policies pursue might be a straight line, the policies might not be. It's critical to distinguish straight line and jagged line because we got to call straight line the Christian position. I'd call jagged line uh, not the Christian position. It's, it belongs to the domain of Christian freedom. So I think churches should take a stand on straight line issues and allow for fellow church members to disagree on jagged line political issues. So that's, that's, that's the framework. Now we're ready to jump into the first question on your handout. Why must Christians agree to disagree over jagged line political issues? I'm going to suggest two reasons. Here's the first. Because Christians must respect fellow Christians who have differently calibrated consciences on jagged line issues. And now I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans 14. Romans 14. I feel like I've taught on this here before. I think it was a 2014. So here we are, six years later. Same issue. A little more charged, maybe, uh, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg now no longer on the Supreme Court. We've got an election just weeks away. This is on everyone's mind. Let's apply the Bible to it. Uh, now, let me briefly talk about the conscience before I apply it to politics. So uh, I read a little book with a, a friend named J.D. Crowley. Maybe he's a friend of your church uh, on the conscience. And here we define conscience as your consciousness or your sense, your awareness of what you believe is right and wrong. Your, your consciousness of what you believe is right and wrong. It's not optional to respect fellow Christians who have differently calibrated consciences on jagged line issues. And, and jagged line issues correspond to what Paul in Romans 14.1 calls opinions. You see that word opinions in 14.1 in the ESV? If you have an NIV or, or, or Christian Standard Bible, it says disputable matters, matters of conscience. So here's what Paul says. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions or disputable matters. The Christian Standard Bible says don't argue about disputable matters. So that's, that's the, the charge from our Lord for how we are to live this out. Now, let me, I've, I just use the term calibrating or a calibrated conscience. What I mean by that it, uh, is you can have an instrument that's off. So I've got a phone on me. It says 1116. That clock says 1115. Who's right? You think I'm right? 
Well, that's 1117, 1115. Ah, I like this clock. <laughs> All right. Um, somebody's off, or both are off. Uh, that, you calibrate an instrument to a standard. This happens with bath, bathroom scales often. They're always wrong. You need to calibrate them. Okay. So when it comes to calibrating your conscience, what's the standard? Is it your pastor? No. It's the Bible. And, and specifically, it's God, and, and he's revealed himself in Scripture. And none of our consciences perfectly match God's. Our whole life, it's reading things out. It's putting things in, taking stuff out that shouldn't be there. Like, so sometimes your conscience is like a, a, a red light warning you, and it's actually not correct in warning you. You can all probably tell stories of how, you know, in the past, there was something that you thought was wrong, and now you realize, uh, actually, that wasn't wrong. Or reverse. In the past, something you thought was okay, and now you look back and think, oh, I can't believe I did that. Uh, what's, what's happening? If you're actually changing in the right way, what's happening is you are conforming more to truth, the truth of God's word, and you're calibrating your conscience according to the standard of God's word. That's calibrating your conscience. That's the, that's the Christian life. We're calibrating our conscience until we die. Now, the standard is for what's right and wrong is God. And when your conscience is not functioning accurately, you should endeavor to align it with God's word. Classic example of this in the Bible is Peter in Acts chapter 10. Remember Peter's got this thing with threes after the Lord, well, before the Lord, our Lord was, was crucified, he denied the Lord three times. And after Jesus was raised from the dead, he said to Peter three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? To remind him of that. And then in Acts 10, Peter has this dream, and God says to Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Eat these foods that you, in your Jewish uh, law context, think are unclean, you can't eat. And now God's telling you, eat them. Eat these foods. And how many times does Peter say no to God? <laughs> Three times. Uh, so imagine God telling you, it's okay. And you're saying, no, God, I, I can't do that. Uh, wow. God makes the rules. He's telling you, it's okay, eat. And Peter says no. So what does Peter have to do? I mean, his whole life, he's grown up believing to the core of his being that for me to eat these foods would not honor God. He doesn't do it. He's faithful. He's, he's listening to his conscience. And then on a dime, he turns and he starts eating foods that for his whole life he couldn't eat with a clear conscience. What did he do? He calibrated his conscience. Most of the time, it's not that clear for us. <laughs> uh, like We don't have God directly telling us in a dream, this is what you must do. Uh, the way we calibrate our conscience is through the truth of God's word. We do it in community, in a church context, and we do it with time. Usually it doesn't happen in a moment like that. It takes time because you have to persuade yourself from Scripture that what you're doing or not doing is honoring the Lord. And it's better to change your ways than to do what you were doing. It takes time. Sometimes it takes years to calibrate your conscience on an issue. Okay, so that, that's how you, you calibrate your conscience. How does all this relate to jagged line political issues? So here, here's the basic scheme I'm recommending. Treat straight line political issues as whole church issues and treat jagged line political issues as Christian freedom issues or matters of conscience. This is just critical to do this. Uh, for example, I'm guessing that you don't have anyone who's a member of this church 
who is also a member of the Ku Klux Klan or who is uh, a medical doctor who regularly performs abortions. That's incompatible with how people who profess to follow Jesus should live. That, that's a pretty straight line issue. We don't, that's not how Christians should live. And, and it's right for a pastor to say with the authority of God's word, this is what God says. This is how we must live, how we must believe. Again, our, our authority is rooted in Scripture, not in our opinions. Jagged line issues are different. Jagged line issues are matters of conscience that fellow church members should be able to disagree with each other on and still get along. So if you don't, if, if in your mind everything is a straight line issue, church unity is going to be impossible because people, probably your own spouse if you're married, will disagree with you on stuff. I shouldn't say probably. Uh, like that's, that's just, if any two people, any two people pretty much, will disagree on something. Uh, if you just think there's so much to disagree about in life. So it, uh, like here, here's an example. Uh, is the American government right now enforcing the death penalty in a just way? If not, why not? And, and what are the next steps the government should take to solve that problem? I've got opinions on that question. But what I don't have authority to do as a pastor is to say, here's what you must think about this issue, and here's what the solution is, and this is the Christian solution, and we must all agree that this is the one thing we must all do. I could try to persuade you of what I think is best, but for a jagged line issue, I don't have the authority to say we all must be of the same mind on all the specifics when it comes to political policies. Okay, so now I'm still looking at Romans 14. I'd like to... to to marinate, let this marinate in your mind for a little bit. Let's try to apply this with some principles. So Romans 14, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. If you're still in Romans 14, if you just scroll down or flip over to Romans 15.7, this is kind of a bookend to that sentence. 15.7 says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So I'm, I'm looking at these and thinking, how could we... How can we summarize that into a principle and say it like this? It's welcome those who disagree with you as Christ has welcomed you. Think about that. How has Christ welcomed you? You were a spiritual whore, a traitor. You committed treason against the king of the universe. You were sick beyond cure, and he healed you. He, he welcomed you. There's nothing lovely about you that drew him to you. He loved you because he loved you. He welcomed you, and he continues to welcome you as his own. You're in the family. He never turns you away. As Christ has welcomed you, how should you welcome your fellow brothers and sisters in this church? When you disagree over jagged line political issues, it's okay to disagree. It's okay to talk about it. What's not okay is to shun, to turn a cold shoulder, to separate, to demonize. Welcome those who disagree with you as Christ has welcomed you. Here's another principle. 14.3, Romans 14.3 says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. 
And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? What does he ground that principle in? For God has welcomed him. Now here's a principle. Don't look down on those who are stricter than you on a particular issue. Don't be judgmental towards those who have more freedom on a particular issue. Love those who differ with you by respecting them, not disdaining them. And when you're convinced convictionally that a certain political matter, policy, is just, and it's a jagged line, political issue, you might be tempted to treat that as a matter of first importance. That, I'm getting that phrase from 1 Corinthians 15.3, where Paul writes, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you about the gospel. I'm reminding you about the gospel, which is of first importance, which means that there are some things, some truths that are not of first importance. And these issues in Romans 14 and 15, these issues that the Roman Christians were disagreeing about, observing holy days, whether to eat meat or vegetables, whether to drink wine, all in the context of the Jewish uh, system of eating and drinking, those arguments, there was a, a right view to have on them. That's what the stronger brothers and sisters held. But what was more important than that is that they welcomed one another as Christ welcomed them and that they did not look down on each other or be judgmental toward each other over those issues. So how would this apply to jagged line political issues in this church? Is it okay to talk about them? So does this mean like, don't talk about anything that could be divisive? Is that the way you go? That's not healthy. Uh, so it's okay to talk about these things if you do it with the right spirit and the right proportion. Um, there's a principle one of my former pastors taught me. He said, be strict with yourself and generous with others. That's a good. Be strict with yourself and generous with others. So genuinely respect your fellow brothers and sisters who disagree with you on jagged line political issues. And don't, be, don't be so preoccupied with jagged line issues with the result that you're divisive about them. So they shouldn't be so important to you that it's all you want to talk about. There, there are certain people I am friends with on social media who if you look at what they post, nine out of ten posts are very strongly worded opinions about jagged line political issues. And it gives the impression to some that that's the Christian position or that if you disagree with me on this, can't be friends. Um, so it's just a caution there. The same, of course, is true in other areas. If I, I've got an opinion about the nature of the millennium, for example, uh, I'd be willing to share that if I were, if I were teaching God's word on that issue. Uh, in my church context, if I were teaching a passage that addressed that issue, I would probably uh, share what I think is the, the, the view the Bible teaches but I would make it clear that fellow members could disagree with me on the precise timing of Jesus' return with reference to the, the millennium and still be a member of our church. I, I wouldn't make this a point of contention and division. I would treat that differently than the Trinity or the person of Christ or justification by faith alone. So we have to agree on gospel issues and church order issues like, like baptism. We don't have to agree on these conscience issues, these matters of conscience. And these principles are so easy to, for me to say, so easy to state, 
they're so difficult to live out. It takes a lot of maturity and, and rootedness in Scripture to do this. So that's, that's the first reason. Why must Christians agree to disagree over jagged line political issues? It's because Christians must respect fellow Christians who have differently calibrated consciences on jagged line issues. Here's the second reason. Because insisting that Christians agree on jagged line issues misrepresents Christ to non-Christians. As I just mentioned, when, when someone is repeatedly speaking, writing about a jagged line political issue in a way that, that, that presents their view as this is what, what Jesus would think if he were here to talk to us about it. It gives the impression to fellow Christians and to non-Christians watching on that you think that is the Christian position. I think there should be a the Christian position on whether abortion is wrong or not. I don't think we should say there's the Christian position on math standards for eighth graders. Is that fair? Okay. So that, I, I, I'm, I know I'm, I'm being silly on purpose. Just trying to show that the government can have you know, federal aviation standards or uh, whatever. And that's okay. But there's not the Christian position on all the details of such things. But there are more foundational, important, clear biblical principles that we should be able to agree on. That, that distinction is so important. And I am so concerned that in the, uh, the probably the, the, the good motives that come with wanting to express your view on an issue, you can do it in a way, especially in a public setting, that says to non-Christians looking on, oh, so to follow Jesus means I have to think that. And I think that we want to be saying to non-Christians, this is what following Jesus means. And when we offend them, we want to make sure we offend them with the gospel, the gospel message, the gospel truth, and nothing else. So what marks Christians should be our, our love for one another, not our strident tone. And that leads to our, our final question there. How? How must Christians who disagree over jagged line political issues agree to disagree? I'm going to suggest three ways. First, by acknowledging leeway on jagged line political issues. So again, distinguish between the Christian position on a political matter, like abortion, and political matters that are jagged line issues. There's no leeway for straight line issues. There is leeway for jagged line issues. When I say leeway, I mean space for Christians to have different opinions. So if there's no leeway according to the Bible for Christians to disagree, then pastors should preach about them as the Christian position. That should affect whom churches admit into their membership, whom they remove from membership. If there's leeway, though, for Christians to disagree, then pastors should not attempt to bind consciences on those issues. And a Christian's position on such issues should not affect his or her standing as a church member. You have to distinguish what does God say from what is my political judgment on a jagged line issue that applies what God says. Here's an example. It's one thing to forbid. uh, It's one thing to say that stealing is wrong. Stealing is sinful. That's the Christian position. Stealing is sinful. But what do we say about a 90% tax rate. 
I bet you all have opinions as soon as it had 90% tax rate. Uh, that was the rate in 1960 for anyone making more than $300,000 in the United States. I, I don't know what it's like to make that much money, but if I were making that much money, that would sure seem like stealing to me. Uh, but is it stealing? Uh, that's a political judgment on a jagline issue that applies what God's word says. Now, personally, I think that to say that a 90% tax rate is stealing, personally, if I made a political judgment about that, I'd probably say that's a correct judgment. But that's, that's, I don't have the authority of Scripture to say it as clearly as I do that stealing is sinful. So I'm making a political judgment. I, I'd even be happy to allow for Christians to try to persuade one another on such an issue like that, uh, the tax rate. But my, my, what I'm trying to emphasize here is I want to distinguish between that and the Christian position on tax rates. That's different. It's different than even a Christian position on tax rates. Uh, one of my, uh, a pastor friend uh, wisely observed, he said, I thought my job as a pastor would focus on getting my church members to encourage one another to do what the Bible commands. Instead, most of my job is keeping my church members from demanding things of each other that the Bible never does. <laughs> uh, it's so sad that's the case, but it's often the case in churches. So I think we need to be able to simultaneously be able to persuade one another of perceived injustices, we're talking about political stuff, and also leave room for some measure of freedom to disagree about what counts as an injustice. As a pastor, I've got to be so cautious about how I wield my influence on jagged line political issues. My job is to preach and teach the Bible. It's not to advocate for specific political parties. My authority is tied to God's word. So when I teach and preach and counsel, I've got to be very careful to speak about jagged line political issues with the same conscious binding authority. No, I said that wrong. Not to do that with the same conscious binding authority that I do about straight line issues. So when I speak dogmatically about a jagged line political issue, what I'm doing is I'm weakening my ability to prophetically address a straight line issue. A, a U.S. senator once invited his pastor, Mark Dever, to his office for advice on a constitutional amendment that would require a balanced budget. Mark Dever is a pastor in, in Washington, D.C. So the senator is a member of his church. And the senator said, my colleagues are pushing me. The party whip is pushing me. The press is hounding me. You're my pastor. How should I vote? Interesting. What, what would you do? Uh, Mark Dever is a very smart man, and he's got political opinions on these things. What do you think he said? Well, he said, this is recounting from a later conversation, Brother, I'll pray that God gives you wisdom. And that was all. Now, when his friend Al Mohler found out, he said, give him my number. Uh, but <laughs> uh, um, but uh, Dever recounted years later, it's not like I didn't have an opinion. I had a very strong opinion. He said, because my authority as a pastor is tied to the word of God, I know I'm right about the Bible. I know I'm right about the gospel and Jesus' promised return. I'm happy to address any political issue that meets the criteria of being biblically significant and clear. I don't think the constitutional amendment in question was either biblically clear or significant. 
Therefore, I'm going to preserve my pastoral authority and credibility for what Scripture has told me to talk about. Now, you might disagree. You might think on that particular issue, he should have said something. But that's not disproving my point. I'm just trying to illustrate a point. The point is that we have to make judgment calls, and I want to commend the principle that Dever illustrates there. He was distinguishing between a straight line and a jagged line issue, and he humbly practiced forbearance with jagged line issues as a pastor. I tip my hat to him there. So more and more, I'm conversing with, with brothers and sisters right now in America who feel stuck. They feel like they have no political home anymore. They, they can't possibly imagine voting for this party or that party or either party. And yet, hopefully, you can now better understand what it would mean to treat this kind of question as a straight-line whole church issue. It would mean that your church would potentially excommunicate anyone who supports this party or that party. Now, until your church reaches that point, you've got to exercise some, mer- some measure of, of charity and forbearance. So churches can sin and prove faithless by not speaking up in matters of political policy when they should. But only once in a great while should churches speak directly to political policy or to particular candidates, in my opinion. Normally, doing that would require competencies that most pastors don't possess, and it would be saying more than Jesus authorizes pastors to say. So the way we apply this in the context of the church I'm part of, Bethlehem Baptist Church, we will not support a political candidate by name from the pulpit, but we will preach on issues that the Bible is clear about. I don't know how your church handles this. I'm not hearing anyone revolt yet, so I guess we're doing okay. All right. That's the first suggestion I have for how must Christians who disagree over jagged line political issues agree to disagree. Here's the second way. By uniting to accomplish the mission Christ gave the church. I believe that the mission of the church is what Jesus commanded his followers to do in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the main command is make disciples. You do this as you go, and you do it by means of baptizing them and teaching them. That's the mission of the church. So that means that straight line political issues such as abortion are the church's business. We're to make disciples by teaching everything that Jesus did. And by implication, that's the whole Bible. So it's, it's, it's part of what the church must teach about. The church as a whole is not, in my view, responsible for addressing directly every conceivable kind of injustice in the world. The church should care about that, but the church is not responsible for directly addressing all of it. Uh, individual Christians can address such issues. So the individual Christian walking into the public square is different than the church collectively walking into the public square. The individual Christian stepping into the public square should make use of every kind of common grace knowledge and use his own or her own study of the Bible, even partnerships with non-Christians to advocate for just ends on every straight line or jagged line issue out there. That's, the individual Christian has a different kind of responsibility than the whole church. The individual Christian possesses much more freedom to speak to a, a broad range of issues. So as long as 
as he takes care not to treat his position as the Christian position, save those in which his church has rendered judgment, that's great. God has commissioned local churches as a whole to act corporately and to teach everything Jesus commanded and to equip the saints for their respective ministries. God has not commissioned local churches to advocate across the whole range of issues that comprise the work of government. It's not part of the church's job. It doesn't belong to the church's mission. So churches can teach what the Bible says about taxes and private property. Churches probably shouldn't presume to speak to this or that tax bill. A Christian should be able to say to a fellow church member, well, I feel pretty strongly about this jagged line political issue, and I think you're wrong. We disagree here. But I recognize that we can still share the Lord's Supper together, be members of the same church together, even while disagreeing over that. Because our, our agreement on this topic is now what makes us a church. So that's, a, that's a, second, a second way to answer the question, how must Christians who disagree over jagged line political issues agree to disagree? Here's a third way. Finally, it's by prioritizing loving others over convincing them that your convictions about jagged line political issues are right. That's Paul's burden in Romans 14. I mean, think about it. He could have just come right out in Romans 14 and said, here's the right view, here's the right theological view on you know, meat versus vegetables, on observing holy days or not, on drinking wine or not. He could just come right out and said, this is the right view. Those of you who disagree, you're wrong. Repent. Uh, move on. He kind of addressed those by using the terms stronger brother, weaker brother in the, in the context. But his main burden is not to say who's right and who's wrong in these issues. His main burden is how to treat each other, how to love each other in those differences on those matters of conscience. That's so much more important than am I right or am I wrong on the issue. Now, of course, we want to be right on issues. We want to line up what we think and believe and do with, with what's true. But for, for these kinds of issues, for jagged line issues, specifically jagged line political issues, what's more important than being right is that we love each other when we disagree in those differences. That's the burden in Romans 14. I am not suggesting that you never talk about these with each other. Not at all. I'm just exhorting you to prioritize loving each other over convincing each other that you're right. And I've got six specific suggestions how to do that. Number one, Welcome those who disagree with you as Christ has welcomed you. We already saw that in Romans 14.1 and 15.7. So treat brothers and sisters who disagree with you over politics as your fellow family members, not as enemies. Number two, this is from James 1. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So sinful anger overreacts and escalates controversy and tension. I kind of lightheartedly joked in the last session uh, not to watch news on, in, like watch news shows or get your news that way or, or talk radio. That's what it is in my experience. It's escalating tension by sinfully overreacting and escalating controversy. Often, that's what it's doing. It's stoking the flames and causing further division. In a church context, it should be different. Wise Christians know when and how to dial down the temperature of political disagreements. I love Proverbs 18. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Don't be like that guy. So humbly listen 
to those who don't share your perspective, especially when they come from a different background? And what principle of justice are they seeing that you might be missing? Don't, don't assume that you flawlessly see everything. You perceive every injustice. So be sensitive to the fears and concerns of fellow believers, whether you agree or not. Here's a third suggestion. Pray with affection for those who disagree with you. Have you ever tried this? You're mad at somebody, a fellow Christian. You, maybe you, you're mad because they did something mean to you. Maybe they sinned against you. Maybe you just perceive them as drifting one way or the other in a way that's dangerous. Uh, and then you start praying for them every day. What does that do to your heart and your posture towards that person? You may have the same concerns, but your heart loves them. You're, you're, you talk with them differently because you're trying to win the person. Uh, praying for another person is just a wonderful way to affect you in how you relate to, to fellow believers. Fourth, respectfully think about those who disagree with you. Don't disdain them or look down on them as we saw in Romans 14.3. Paul commands in Titus 3, slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, be gentle toward everyone. Number five, don't use a label gospel issue for a jagged line political judgment that you think is an implication of the gospel. This is a real common term I hear. People say, this is a gospel issue. Well, I think it's more helpful to reserve that term, gospel issue, for the clearest uh, doctrines that all Christians agree on. Otherwise, it, it can apply to anything because everything's tied to the gospel in some way and everything's a gospel issue. And when everything's a gospel issue, it's just, that's not a helpful phrase. And when I hear the term, this is a gospel issue, I'm hearing all caps, DEFCON 1, you know, blaring siren, and often what someone means is, well, if the gospel says this, then that implies that we should think this. Well, that might be true, but don't call that a, a gospel issue. Let's just call that an implication of the gospel. I think that's just more helpful terminology. And finally, number six, exult with one another that we can trust our sovereign God when politics tempt us to be sinfully anxious. Are you, are you anxious right now? I mean, when you got the news, when everyone else said Friday night that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, and you thought, oh no, civil war, or it's going to be another riots all over the place, We're gonna, oh, can we move to the country? Like, what, what went through your head? Um, it's, I'm not saying that we'd bury our heads in the sand and pretend that there's nothing potentially at stake here, and, and, but, but what I, I want to focus on here is when we're tempted to be anxious, where do we run? We run to scriptures that talk about the person who's in charge. So I'd like to close by just reading three brief passages of scripture that I hope will be balm to you, will be uh, food for your soul, and then I'll pray. Psalm 115, 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all all that he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 2, 1 to 4. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
the kings of the earth set themselves together and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And finally, Matthew six thirty four. Jesus taught, he commanded, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love how the NIV translates that last sentence. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So don't be anxious. Let's pray. Father, when we disagree with one another on complex political issues, would you please help us disagree in a way that pleases you? Give us courage to be faithfully countercultural and to represent you truthfully to non Christians. Please give us wisdom to love and forbear when we disagree about political judgments. And please unite us to accomplish the mission that Christ gave your church. We ask this for the fame of your name. Amen.